So the reason we're playing Snakes and Ladders is today we are continuing our series, The Only Way is Jesus. Last week what we were talking about is we were talking about relative truth, we were talking about alternate facts, we were talking about fake news, and we were talking about reality TV. But actually we weren't talking about any of those things, we were talking about truth. And one of the key things about truth, as we understand it in today's context, when we look at the wider world that we live in, truth doesn't really work anymore. So when we talk about truth, we now have to say, if we mean something to be actually true, we have to say, um, I believe like it's absolute, absolute truth. Um, we can't say truth anymore because truth is meaningless. Truth's value could not be lower in many senses when it comes to like the common things we say and the values we hold. Obviously, when it comes to the workplace, truth is of high value all of a sudden because if you don't tell the truth, you lose your job. But apparently, you can be in the most powerful position in the whole world at the moment and not tell the truth and it doesn't matter at all and no one cares. Literally, no one cares to the point where we can just say alternate facts like we touched on last week. But Jesus had a statement about himself where he said that he was truth. So last week we were looking at truth in the context of the world we live today and what Jesus said about himself and how Jesus still calls out truth, he calls out lies, and he calls out stuff that is bait, stuff that is there to deceive us. So today, this week, we look at things from a slightly different angle, but ultimately speaking, what we're talking about is last week, we were talking a lot about lies, so it's really like the snakes, the slivery path that slides you down the board and leads you trapped and tangled. Well, today we're talking about ladders. Today is about climbing up into kind of the promises of what God has for us. So today what we're talking about is a different thing, truth, that is Jesus' way, but this is also a characteristic and a word that fully describes Jesus' way, and that is humility. Humility, 110%, is a fantastic word to describe Jesus, to describe what he does, why he does it, how he does it, to describe pretty much everything there is about him, and especially on today, Palm Sunday. When we, when we think of humility, we have to not just talk about what we're talking about, but just like last week, we have to talk about what we're not talking about. So if you've been in the context of church for some time, when it comes to the, the conversation of humility, it becomes this really abusive thing. So humility, which is meant to be like one of the most liberating, most wonderful, joyous attributes and qualities, in church becomes a thing that they use to bash people with. For example, I remember a friend of mine, he was a preaching at this church and they rewarded him for his word they gave him half a cucumber and he went back the next time he preached there and he said to me man I know I was preaching fire because this time they gave me the whole cucumber uh, thank you for your word brother and they gave him a cucumber he got the whole thing he's like cheese man I must have been on point this Sunday and then you can kind of see there how things go wrong I mean I've also seen like at a particular church where a leader who I absolutely love uh completely steamrolled me and just bulldozed me. I was speaking at their church and we'd met for coffee and I was talking about myself and struggles that I have. And one of my things is I don't like positioning myself with humility with regard to receiving blessing. I don't like it. I hate it. So I don't like it at church if they're like bigging me up or if they're like kind of blessing me or doing something wonderful for me. I don't like it. I can't. I just 
we were just being honest around a cup of coffee about our struggles. And that was me talking about mine and I just saying how I hated it. So what did he do? He invited me to preach at his church and I'm preaching at his church and at the end he goes, I'd really like to thank um, Andy for his word and how much he shared. He's going to hate me for the next five minutes, but I'm okay with that. Um, Andy hates it when people bless him. Andy hates it when people put him in a position of vulnerability where they give into his life. So we're going to have a love offering now for Andy. And I'm just sitting there and I'm dying. I couldn't make eye contact with him. I'm looking at my feet the whole time. And I remember him challenging me and going, well, who do you think you are? You think you're so, you're think you're so arrogant, so prideful, so great that you can't be positioned for God to bless you. You think you're too big for God's blessing. You think you're greater than that. You think you're greater than allowing other people to have input into your life, to pour into you. Or you just want it to be one way where you pour into people, but you won't let anyone do anything nice for you. Is that who you're going to be? Like he called it out, man. He was like, he went hard. And I was just like, oh, he didn't do that from the front. Uh, he didn't do that bit from the front. That was to me. But like he did that and the offerings going around and, and, and people and they just they gave me this money and you know what? It's so stupid because actually I was so desperate and I was in such a bad place that that actually enabled us to carry on living. It was, it was insane and yet I still was so foolish. And there's a verse in the Bible that gets mentioned in the Old Testament, gets mentioned by Paul, gets mentioned by Peter in his epistle and that it says this, it says, God is opposed to the proud but the humble he gives his grace to. Uh, that word opposed has real meaning for me as a big UFC fan. There was some fights last night in the octagon. Daniel Cormier um, kept his title and his opponent who lost has, has retired. Um, they stand opposed from each other. And so what I want to throw out from being a UFC fan is you don't want to step in the octagon with God because it will be painful. And I'm going to throw that out there for free this Sunday. This could save you a lot of pain, a lot of heartache is that you don't want to be locked in a cage fight with God. It's, it's not good, it won't end well, and it will really hurt. God is opposed to the proud. So the proud are the people that he fights against. But the humble, he gives his grace to. We have to be people that position ourselves to receive the grace of God, which empowers us in every aspect of our life. Every aspect. He's opposed to the proud, but the humble he gives his grace to. So we've talked about what humility does look like, what it doesn't look like. And um, one last illustration actually I like from what humility looks like. I remember preaching at a few different places and sometimes people come up to you afterwards and they go, oh, thank you so much. That was really great. That really blessed me. And they do all that. I hate that stuff. And um, I remember like when I was a lot younger, I said some really stupid things when people said that. I remember one time, I, one time someone came up and they said something really over the top about what I said. And I said, oh no, it wasn't me. It was God. And they allowed me to to, to walk away and I'm glad that they did because I know someone else who'd said that and when um, someone had really praised their preaching and they said oh no it was, it's not me it's Jesus they went it wasn't that good <laughs> which I thought was brilliant because it's so true isn't it it's like yeah you know what it was great but I did not feel like the almighty himself was manifesting the flesh in the pulpit this Sunday really sorry but it wasn't that great um, luckily that, that didn't happen to me because the burn would have been too much to handle but it's funny we say these stupid things and we have this really weird understanding of humility and sometimes people go around beating themselves up and acting like this and it's, it's a false humility that's not humility that's pride that's pride being manifest in an even more perverse way than just your flat out blatant arrogance and yeah so what we're looking at is Philippians 2 verse 5 this is one of my favorite passages in the Bible I remember reading the book of Philippians a few years back and I read it 21 times straight back to back because 
it just absolutely lashed me. A book I want to throw out as a recommendation today is a book by a guy called Andrew Murray, not the tennis player, uh, a late South African revivalist from the 18th century. He wrote an amazing book called Humility. It's about the same size as the Kamashima drama. It's crazy small, it's crazy short, but it absolutely will murk your life. It is really painful, but it's really good for you as well. It's really good for the soul, and it's just really powerful and amazing. So I want to recommend that one. It's probably, I would say, for the vast majority of my life, I would have said if someone asked me what's the best book you ever read, it would probably be that. So I absolutely love that book, and it's tiny, so you can just keep going through it. So when we look at the book of Philippians here, this is written by a guy called Paul. It's been written while he's in prison. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's just absolutely incredible. It's a lot about being united, um, which for us is key as a church, which is why we spent so so long working out what our mission is, lighting up our world so that people far from God can find life in Christ, why we've worked out our values. We want to shine, want to glow to grow, shine in life. Every day is Sunday, getting that relaxation in that we're fresh, not burning ourselves out. That's not who we are as a church and who we are as individuals, as followers of Jesus. We're rested invite we want to be people to invite people to the eternal party of salvation we want to be people to invite people to city here we want to be people that invite people into our lives and we want to be people that give and give of our time give of our talents um, to god as well so when we look at philippians that's what it's about it's being back united in particular missions on a particular road and so he challenges them about that but when it comes to chapter two it's probably one of my favorite passages of scripture and it says this have this mind among yourselves which was yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped at but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being found in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father why I love this passage is just how it starts it already starts straight away with like a mind blown like with a shotgun to the face kind of moment it says have this attitude that was in Jesus and then the next thing it says was that he was though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped he was in the form of God just that statement alone like Paul just drops that like it's nothing like like I'm not being like if it, if it was like a freestyle battle like I just wouldn't no one should get up after he, he says this passage it's just like that's it man that's it sorry it's 7.30 the night's over no one else wants to get up and bar anymore everyone's done uh, a few guys at the back are saying they're retiring some people are shaking at the knees a few guys are passed out tiny temp of one of them you know what I mean it's just a ridiculous ridiculous passage and when he starts off by saying he who is in the form of God that is that is not something we can comprehend but he did not count equality with God something to be grasped something to cling to but he emptied himself emptied himself out of that form taking the form of a servant or in the original text the language is bond servant which is like he's already dropped this bar about being in the form of God he says that he comes in likeness of a man but when he says this word bond servant it's just an insane word to a church in Philippi with this kind of Greek understanding of the world a bond servant means to be devoted to another to the disregard of your own interests so what we have is we have someone who was in the form of God who didn't think that was something he had to keep his hands on it wasn't like he had to keep a hold of this but he let go of it became human form and then as a human in human form he became a bond servant he became devoted to the father 
or devoted to us to the disregard of his own interests. It's just absolutely insane. It is insane. So when we talk about humility and we talk about this passage, we will never see anything deeper than this. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, one of the cruelest, most devastating torture devices in human history. And because of this, God has given him the name above every name. When I think about this, it is just, it's beyond any leadership example we've we've ever seen. There's no CEO who goes, I'm going to give up my position as CEO. I don't think this is something I need to hold on to. I think there's better ways I can serve the company. I'm going to be a servant to all and be crucified that all my employees can live in the fullness of life. Like, Every now and then you get a good CEO around the world who, 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 who caps his wage and then raises everyone else's by a little bit because as it spreads out, it raises everyone else's just that little bit. So his millions that he takes off when spread across the whole company, puts everyone up by a few thousand and everyone's like, oh my days. It makes headline news around the world and it's always a Japanese CEO. It's always in Japan, there's someone who does that. Or like in Sweden where they go like, we've looked at everything, we've realized we can achieve the same amount in the six hour week instead of an eight hour working week. Everyone goes, oh my gosh, two hours less of work, two hours more play, ah, this is amazing. Headline news around the world. He was in the form of God and he didn't consider it something he had to keep hold of. He let go of it and he became devoted to the Father. He became devoted to you, to the disregard of his own interests. He puts them all on the side. And he does this while choosing, allowing to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So next week, we're going to be looking at that death on the cross. It's Easter Sunday, but this is Palm Sunday today. But this whole thing doesn't end there. So he's devoted to another to disregard of his own gain, his own interest. It isn't that it is not in your interest. It is that what is now in your interest, your new interest, takes its place. So he's removed his interest and aligned it with God's will. Hashtag kingdom gains. It's about kingdom gains. So what Jesus is doing here is it's not about his own personal objectives of what he can gain out of this. He's not, it's not for his new Instagram picture, hashtag gains, boom, getting dench. He's laying everything down that we can get dench, that we may live in the goodness of what he has. And so that is hashtag kingdom gains. So that is what God calls us to do. Now, when we look at what Paul says, we see that in the, in the macro, in the large picture. In being in the form of God, laying it all aside, becoming flesh and blood, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of this, he has the name above every name. But when we look at the Gospels, we see it in the micro, we see it in the small details. So we start off with him being born uh, to Mary and Joseph. This tiny, unknown little couple that haven't even got it on yet. And that is who he's given birth to, who, who he's given to. That is where he comes. And then he's, bit, he's born in Bethlehem and it's in a manger. Um, God has to kind of bring it what God does with the nativity story is a bit like what we do at Christmas we celebrate with tinsel the tackiest thing ever like God sends a couple of shepherds yeah some wise men come because he's a king and a couple of angels like a little sprinkling of like tacky (laughs) glitter around the place that's what it's like you look at who he is what this moment is the form of God to flesh and blood and you look at kind of the show God puts on you're like a bit dead really might go home this party's not really (laughs) popping is it you know what I mean it's, it's absolutely insane. The whole way he comes into this world is completely filled with humility. But it's not only that. All the gold they're given, he doesn't go around making it rain. That's not what happens. What happens is the king decides there's a king being born. I've heard about these wise men. 
We need to duppy this baby. I'm not losing my throne. That's going down my family line. That kid's gonna die for this. What do they do? They have to spend that money fleeing for their lives as immigrants, like Syria, fleeing for their lives to Egypt. They spend all the money living in Egypt. And then it comes to a point where God says, you can go back now. And then all the money that is left, what money's left? Not much. How do I know not much money was left? Because when they moved back, they moved back to Nazareth, the ghetto, the ends. And it's not like today's ends, where you get a bit of glory on social media that you're a bad man and you can get followers and hashtags and likes. It's not like that in the context that they live in. The context that he's in, like the ghetto, there's no perks to it. There's no mixtape career you can bring out of it. There's no hoodies coming out. There's no like, you're just in the ghetto and that is it. There's no twist on it like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no rappers dropping mixtapes while they live in Beverly Hills, but acting like they're still there. There's none of that. It's just the ghetto. So Jesus grows up in Egypt, a foreigner, an immigrant, not living the dream. The money gets spent there. All the rest of the gold that they get from the wise men gets spent coming back to Israel. They look on the property market. Oh, we're absolutely screwed. We're going to have to live in the ghetto now. They live in the absolute ends in Nazareth. He grows up there living that kind of lifestyle. And then he learns his father's trade. And then when he's finished learning his father's trade, he goes, you know what? I'm going to be kind of this thing that some people do by vocational rabbi. Do my carpentry, make a bit of money and then go out and, and go teaching, preaching. Loads of other people did that. Jesus wasn't exclusive in that. And then what does he do? He gets 12 guys together. And the guys he gets together are the biggest bunch of waste men around. Like they're not, they're not like these guys who have it all together. They're not. One of them's a tax collector, absolutely hated. Two of them are in a biker gang, the Sons of Zebedee, Sons of Thunder. That's what it translates as. You've got a bunch of fishermen who aren't really that great at fishing anyway. They're pretty good, but they're not setting the world on fire with the world's biggest fishing trawler business. He's just got this bunch of guys. He's got Judas. He's got a freedom fighter. He's got flipping Islamic State. He's got Judas with him in the group, in charge of the money. Like, it's not... You don't look at it, and you don't look at this, the squad and go, oh, yeah, mate, you're going to win the 5 side league tournament this year. You're not. There's no... Hashtag kingdom gains, man. It's not about, like... He, he's not gaining anything from these guys. These guys are just going to cause him headaches. He's got Thomas as well. Hardly, like... He, he has a centurion that has more faith than the whole of Israel. He doesn't become the disciple and tour with him. He carries on being a centurion. He's left with these guys. It's hilarious. And he does this the whole way through his life. And then even when we get to the point in the story which we celebrate on this kind of day where we remember Palm Sunday, this is the triumphant en entry, it says in the Bible, the triumphant entry. He comes in on a donkey. Zechariah prophesied about it. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. A colt, a foil of a donkey. He's coming in, riding on a donkey. And so it's building up to Passover. And Jesus is coming in on this donkey. And people are like, Oh man, this is Zechariah. This is it. Rags us on. He's going he's gonna to enter the city, he's going to turn, and he's going to go straight to the Roman garrison, and he's going to lay the smack down, and we're going to have freedom from the Romans. We're going to enter in this new era of prosperity. He's going to have a kingdom greater than David. This is the guy. This is it. And then when he gets in, they're laying down all these, these palm branches, these palm leaves, 
and they're shouting Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. They're saying, this is the Messiah, this is the son of David, this is where it all turns around. And then as soon as he gets in through that gate, like anyone else, it'd been like WWE at WrestleMania. You're running down there, like, you know, the music's on, you're running down the line, like getting down, ready to go, and they're like, Ugh! and what he does is he just turns on the crowd and just starts mauling people in the crowd. That's what it'd be like at WWE. Brock Lesnar turning around, flipping the metal thing out of the way, and just start choke slamming or whatever move he does on random parent with his kid and the kid parent like laying on the floor. Like he just runs down the line of all these palm branches. He gets in and they're like, yeah, he's gonna bash up the Roman, he's Roman Reign. He's gonna bash up Roman Reign, that's a wrestler, right? He's gonna deck this guy. No, he doesn't. He gets in, he picks up a whip, he goes to the temple, starts whipping all these people about, going, you made my father's house a den of thieves. The anti-climax in this passage cannot be like, it couldn't be any more crazy. It really couldn't be any more crazy. He came to serve, not to be served. He lived his whole life as a life of service, and then even his death, he lives it as a life. He, he, he gives us new life as an act of service. He lived a life of a servant, and he gives out as a servant. What does God call for us to do? Well, you see, next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And when we become a bond servant and what God calls us to do, what God calls me to do, what God calls you to do, what God calls all of us to do collectively, is he calls us to be devoted to him to the disregard of our interests. He calls me to go, Andy, well, actually, you know what? Some of the priorities, the ordering, the way you put things in your life, that's actually not where it's at. That's not where it really matters. Let me tell you where it really matters, Andy. I, I was in the form of God. I put that aside. I came down flesh and blood. I became devoted to God, to the plan of salvation, to the plan of redeeming and, and saving and reconciling lives, reconciling us back to God. That was the top priority. And it didn't matter that I had to go from the form to being a man. It didn't matter that I had to die on a cross. It didn't matter that I had to be tortured because I knew at the end what this is for and where this is going. And this is kingdom gains. And this is what this is about. And so what God calls us to do is to follow him in that same pursuit. Well, how do we follow him in that same pursuit? Well, last week we talked about truth and the problem I find a lot of the time is when Christians believe they have the truth, they don't come with the humility of Jesus. Jesus, in the form of God, could have come down and did some drastic, crazy announcement. Everything he did, he came in humility. If you're gonna to come to someone who has a truth and you're gonna say, that's not the truth, this is the truth, and you're gonna come with some arrogant style and arrogant route to someone, condoning them, I'm gonna let you know how it's gonna go. It's not gonna go very well for you. It's not gonna go very well at all. Like a lot of my friends, really hardcore atheists, and how I come to them to present a different truth, if I'm not presenting it the way Jesus presents it, he presents it in truth, but his way was completely humble himself below us and then serving us, that's where you can buy into an alternative truth. When you understand something to be true and someone comes at you, this arrogant swagger, that, that oh, so many Christians do in the way that they talk down to people and the way they talk to people, you're destined to fail. What God calls you and I to do this, this exact week with Easter Sunday is next Sunday. This is one of two Sundays in the year. Your friends who are all my friends at Heathens take it slow. They will say yes to church next Sunday. They will say yes. They will not say yes other weeks. This is the one week window, this week. So when we look at Christ's humility, this week, what I believe God is asking me to do, asking you to do, asking us to do, is to put aside ourselves and this week to go out on his mission the same way he did. Put aside the form of Andy Gray and go, this is not my week. This is not 
about my gains. This isn't about my goals. This is about kingdom gains. This is about Jesus. This is about his restoration. He laid his life down for me. And when we do this, we come onto something which is called the mission of God, that God has called each and every single one of us to. The thing about salvation is this. You will never go on the mission of God if you haven't experienced salvation. Like a lot of guys I know say things to me like, man, I just want to go, I want to go deeper in the faith. I want to go deeper. I'm like, what do you mean you want to go deeper? And they're like, oh, you know, I've heard all this salvation mess, stuff like that. I want to go deeper, man. I want to go deep, deeper. I, okay, talk to me through this deeper. I don't understand this deeper. Well, you know, everyone talks about the cross and the resurrection stuff. But man, I, I want something deeper. And I'm like, the only thing deeper than that is eternity. I can kill you right now if you want and you can see him and you can encounter it. Like there's nothing deeper than the mission of God. There's nothing deeper than that moment. If you can think of that moment in your life when you encountered God's grace, where you received forgiveness, where you received the power of God in your life and when the Holy Spirit poured out himself upon you, if you can remember that moment, that is where you come to a place of humility where you realize who you are in the order of things with God. And it's there that you can start to live out the God called life. When you forget that and you start looking for something else, we waste our lives chasing after something that isn't precious. If God can be in the form of God and put that aside, that people like you and me can know him and be children of God and receive an inheritance, Jesus' inheritance, if he can do that, then I believe he calls us to do the same. And I believe this week, specifically in timescale-wise, is the week where we need to go and we need to invite people to City Hill because this is the one week where your pagan friend will say yes. Like your heathen friend. You can say there'll be Easter eggs, man. There'll be chocolate, whatever. Like, just come church this one Sunday. I promise, brother, it won't be as dead as you believe. It'll be slightly dead, but it won't be fully dead. <laughs> like, like, Jesus will be dead for a bit at a talk, but like, even the end will be lit. Like, he'll be alive again, you know what I mean? Invite him along. I'm going to be doing that this week as well. So what I want to challenge us to do this week, I'm going to grab some of the pens that the kids are using at the end. And then what I want us to do is on the back, where it's got 9.45am, I want us to write the date and Easter Sunday at the top and take these with us because this week is a week where someone's eternal destiny could get changed. Like this talk today, there's a couple of us sitting in a garden at Metro for the first outdoor service of the year. Whoopie doo. But from today and from the actions of what happened today and the actions we do this week, a thousand lives could change. A thousand. Like not even just because of next Sunday, but throughout the future of our lives and the people who may come next week and the way we live and what God speaks into us, a thousand lives could be changed easily. Easily. Like, it's not a big thing for God. But it will only happen if we live a life of humility. And it will only happen if we do what Jesus did and become devoted this week to the disregard of our interests. Obviously, that doesn't mean going to work and not doing any work. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything like as crazy as that. But it means having that switch in our minds going, man, there is someone whose eternal destiny matters this week and not just what I'm going to have for lunch. I'm going to pray for us and, and that'll be it for this Sunday. Father, I thank you for your entry into Jerusalem. So many people were watching, hoping desperately for something else, but actually what you ended up giving was something so much greater the week later. Father, may we be people who don't just see desperately the gains that we're seeking this week, May we for this week be like you and focus on how you left behind the form of God and you didn't consider it robbery, you let go of it, that you could become devoted to God and to his plan for salvation 
above any gains that were there to be had. And actually, you ended up getting the greatest gains of all. People's lives eternally changed. Father, this week, would you empower us by the power of your Holy Spirit to seize those opportunities to invite those around us, Father? May we embrace Jesus' approach of being devoted to another to disregard his own interest, like Spider-Man sticking to the target. May we see the targets that we have around us this week. May we be aware of our kingdom gains, that we take responsibility for the goodness that you want to unleash on people's lives. And we, may we make that our interest this week in our devotion to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.